Isaiah chapter number 28. Isaiah chapter 28 will be where we start this morning in verse number 16. Familiar passage to those of you taking the Sure Foundation class in Bible school this semester. Isaiah 28 and verse number 16. one of the many Old Testament prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Isaiah 28, 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. There are many places in the Bible, both Old Testament the prophecy, and New Testament, the fulfillment, where Jesus Christ is referred to as the corner stone. And that'll be um, our topic of discussion this morning. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. This passage from Isaiah 28 is quoted many times in the New Testament. What is a cornerstone? Dictionary definition, the stone which lies at the corner of two walls, you may have uh, deduced that from the term. The stone which lies at the corner of two walls and unites them. The cornerstone is the principal stone, the most important stone. It, it is the, the stone which forms the corner of a foundation or of an edifice. So uh, a cornerstone is foundational in in in. in in, in buildings at the time, the cornerstone was the first stone that was set. The rest of the foundation was laid against the cornerstone. And so the cornerstone was the largest stone. It was the strongest stone. It was the most solid stone, the most stable stone in the entire foundation. And once that cornerstone was set, it was unmovable. And it's easy to see why it is that the Bible refers to Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Because He is the foundation. He is the principal stone in so many ways, on so many levels, in so many different aspects. Everything else is attached to and based upon Jesus Christ. And He is unmovable. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He's the eternal Son of God. And this symbolism that is mentioned in the Old Testament is invoked many places in the New Testament. And I just want to give you five quick points from the Scripture this morning that relate to Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Then that will lead us into what we're going to discuss here for the next several weeks. But first of all, come to Acts chapter 4. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone? Why is he referred to as the cornerstone? What are we to learn from that? Many different applications from the New Testament. The first point is that Jesus Christ is the basis of salvation. If you are saved, that salvation is built upon and based upon Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, and the apostles here are preaching in verse number 1. They're spreading the gospel news that Christ has died and 
risen, and, uh, and, and he is the savior of sinners. The priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees, they're all grieved in verse number two. The apostles are apprehended in verse number three. They're brought before the council in verses five and six. In verse number seven, pick it up there, the Bible says, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have ye done this? Referring to the acts of healing that have taken place. In verse number 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if, this, if, we, this babe, if we this day be examined the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God hath raised from the dead, he just preached the gospel, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone. Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, coming again. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Why is Jesus Christ called the cornerstone? Because there's no salvation outside of him. No one gets saved without trusting wholly, completely, solely, and entirely in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death on the cross for our sins. His resurrection in triumph over the power of death. That is the sole basis, though that is the means of salvation. Everyone is everyone who is saved is a saved is saved because they became attached to Jesus Christ through faith in what he did. Hebrews 1 3, he by himself purged our sins. He laid the foundation for salvation when he died and rose again. And if you're going to get to heaven, that's the only way that it works. He's the cornerstone. Number two, he's the head of the church. Come to Ephesians chapter number two. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Follow along with your outline there on the back of your bulletin. Ephesians chapter number two. And verse number 19. Ephesians 2 and verse 19. The Bible says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Two different groups of physical peoples being addressed in Ephesians chapter 2. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. There are the people of God and who are referred to as aliens strangers okay and these two groups were separate and, and 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 never the twain did meet right there was no unity between jew and gentile until jesus christ came and shed his blood and 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 offered forgiveness and cleansing and and in jesus christ jew and gentile are united gentiles are no more strangers they're no more foreigners they are of the household of God if they are saved, verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone. What are we talking about in Ephesians chapter 2? We're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about the church of God. We're talking about this congregation, this assembly of all saved people who've been born again and placed 
into Jesus Christ. Of this building, it is said that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together, Jew-Gentile, together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. What did Jesus say when he came? Matthew 16 and verse 18. He said, I will build my church. It's his church. It belongs to him. It's built upon him. It is subject to him. It is of him and through him and to him and for him. In the church, Jesus Christ is to have the preeminence because he's the chief cornerstone. In the church, Jesus Christ deserves the glory and the praise because he's the chief cornerstone. In the church, Jesus Christ sets the agenda and makes the rules and is the one who establishes the direction. Why? Because he is the chief cornerstone of the church. G. Campbell Morgan said, the church of God apart from Jesus Christ is a, use, is a useless structure. Without Jesus, there is no church. If you have a church but you don't have Jesus, you don't have a church. You have another organization, you have another club, you have another group of people. But without Christ, it's not a church because he is the foundation stone. Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 7 speaks of how Jesus Christ has given all believers spiritual gifts. Uh, verse number 11, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse number 15, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. He's the head. He's, he's the boss. <laughs> he's the authority. The head of the church is not the pastor. It's Christ. The head of the church is not the deacon board. It's Christ. The head of the church is not the influential women who like to boss everybody around. It's Christ. The, the head of the church is not the Pope. It's Christ. He is the head of the church. Verse 16, look at this. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, make an increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. He's the head. Verse 15, from whom? Verse 16, He's the cornerstone. Everything in the building is attached to him. The way that we are joined together, the way that we are compacted together, the way that we have unity in Jesus Christ is because we're built on that cornerstone. He is our common bond. We're all part of, if you're saved, you're part of his body, you're part of the church, you're part of this building, but every saved member is attached to Jesus Christ, and that's what makes us part of each other, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. Point number three, come to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Point number three, not only is he the basis of salvation, the head of the church, he is the very foundation of our lives. This is not just a corporate matter. This is a personal matter, an individual matter. This is true of uh, your life when you're not assembled with God's people. This is not just Sunday. It's Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. He is the foundation of everything in life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
verse number 9. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9. The Bible says, For ye are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Okay, Your life is compared to a house in 2 Corinthians 5. Your life is compared to a building, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And the contractor is God Almighty. Ye are God's building. You belong to Him. He has a claim of, claim of ownership upon your life. By virtue of creation, He made you. By virtue of redemption, He bought you with His blood. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Listen, guys, we often separate our lives into our church life and our normal life, our spiritual life, and then all the rest of life. But when we read the Bible, it very clearly comes into focus that every aspect of life is to be built upon and centered around the person of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. He is to be at the very center and everything else is to revolve around him. Yes, our church life revolves around Jesus Christ, but our family life ought to revolve around Jesus Christ and our school life ought to revolve around Jesus Christ and our work life ought to revolve around Jesus Christ and everything we do if it's eat or if it's drink do all to the glory of God he's the foundation of our lives come to 1st Peter chapter 2 same thought in this passage 1st Peter chapter number 2 verse number 4 1st Peter chapter 2 This is speaking to people who have experienced the new birth. Verse number two, new, newborn babes. This is speaking to people who have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Verse number three, uh, th these are saved individuals. I hope that's you this morning. Verse number four, to whom coming the Lord, to whom coming to the Lord, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. We found that in Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. the precious cornerstone. Ye also as lively stones, verse 5, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. We just we just read that as we began this morning. That's Isaiah 28, 16 here in 1 Peter 2, verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallow, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a blessing to have tasted that the Lord is gracious, verse number 3. What a blessing to have experienced the new birth, verse number 2. What a blessing to be part of the family of God. What a blessing to be counted as a child of God. What a blessing to have an eternal hope and an eternal inheritance. But what is the cornerstone to you which believe he is 
precious. What are we to do having built our lives and based our salvation on the person and the work of Jesus Christ? The Bible says in verse 9 we should be peculiar. That is, belonging exclusively to God. Our affections should not be divided. Our hearts should be united. We ought not be double-minded. We should love the Lord with all our hearts and love not the world. We are to be a peculiar people. Why? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If Jesus has done this for us, and he has, then he deserves our lives. Jesus gave it all, all to him I owe. He gave himself for us. And the least we could do is try to return the same to him. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone in that he is the very foundation of our lives. Come to Job 38 for point number four. Job 38, oldest book in the Bible. And this is the first mention of the word cornerstone in the book of Job chapter 38. And verse number six, getting closer to our topic this morning. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He's the base of salvation. He's the head of the church. He's the foundation of our lives. He is the source of all truth. He is the source of all truth. What is a cornerstone? It's a foundation stone that everything else is attached to and it's unmovable, right? Job 38, verse number 6. You're familiar with the narrative here in this book. Job's a righteous man, a, a godly man, a perfect man, an upright man. He lost everything. He came under the attack of the devil. And he had a lot of questions about what was going on. But the Lord shows up in Job 37. <clears throat> I'm sorry, in Job uh, 38. And he begins to ask the questions. And uh, he asks this question of Job in Job 38, verse number 6. Whereupon are the foundations thereof fashioned? Uh, fastened. What are we talking about? Um, verse number Four, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof, of the earth fastened? Or who hath laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy? The Lord comes to Job and says, Job, where were you when I created the heaven and the earth? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I put the cornerstone in place? The truth that the Lord is reminding Job of is this, that he is the creator. He is the originator. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and omega. He's the first and the last. When the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the beginning of the creation of God. It is not a statement that God the Father created God the Son. It is a statement that the eternal God is the source of everything. He is the originator of everything. He's the one who got it going in the beginning. God, he was already there. And then he created the heaven and the earth. Everything came from him. He laid the cornerstone. And so when we come to the New Testament, John 14, 6, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus said to the disciples in the upper room, I am the way, 
the truth and the life. Jesus Christ, He's the source of truth. He's the very definition of truth. And we're not going deep into apologetics this morning, uh, but remember the presuppositional apologetic, and it's simply this, without God, you cannot know anything. (laughs) The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If there were no God, then you can't make sense of the world around you. And there is absolute truth, and there is absolute truth because it's established by an infinite and eternal and all-powerful God who made it all. Jesus Christ is the source of all truth. But sadly, point number five, Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone, the basis of salvation, the head of the church, foundation of reliance, and source of all truth, is rejected by the world. And this is the subject of the prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New, and it holds true this very day. Let's trace a few of these. Psalm 118. Psalm 118. We've already uh, read over this in some of the New Testament passages that we've looked at. Uh, but Psalm 118, <coughs> verse number 21. Psalm 118 and verse number 21. The Bible says, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. Verse 22. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Turn quickly to Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21. Verse number 42, Jesus makes reference to this psalm as a prophecy of himself. Matthew 21 and verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner is the Lord's doing and is it marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Whosoever shall fall in this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And one more, Romans chapter 9, verse number 30. Romans 9. Uh, pick it up in verse 32 for sake of time. Romans 9. In verse number 32, the Bible says, Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, this is the people of Israel seeking God's righteousness through the law, for which the law was never given. The law condemns us as guilty. The law, the law sheds light on our sin. The law defines sin and makes sin exceeding sinful. If righteousness came by the works of the law, Christ is dead in vain. They sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now you know 
What happened? Jesus Christ came to the world, born of a virgin, lived on the earth, a perfect sinless life, revealed to Israel at the age of 30, began his public ministry with the baptism of John the Baptist, declared himself to be the Messiah, backed it up with signs and wonders and miracles, just as was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. He healed the sick and he, and he, and he raised the dead. He gave sight to the blind and hearing to the, to the deaf and made the dumb to... I mean, Jesus Christ did it all. And they rejected him. He came on his own. His own received him not. They despised him. They mocked him. They conspired against him. They, they purposed to put him to death. They crucified him. The cornerstone was rejected. And it's true to this day. Uh, Romans 9.33 says, A rock of offense People are so offended by Jesus Christ. People are offended by those who follow him, those who proclaim him, those who love him. Now look, there's nothing better than Jesus. He's the basis of salvation and head of the church and foundation of life and source of truth. But, but he's unwanted. He's despised and rejected of men. And that's not past tense. That's present tense. Rejected by the world. Now all this discussion and Bible study this morning, uh, speaking of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, sets us up for what we're going to talk about for just a little while, and that's the concept of worldview. Worldview. In your notes, we've got a chart contrasting a couple different worldviews, a biblical worldview that holds Jesus Christ as the Savior and source of truth contrasted with a secular worldview. But, but what is a, a worldview? It's a set of fundamental beliefs and values that determine or constitute a comprehensive outlook on the world. It's a perspective on life. It's easy to understand what a worldview is. It's the way that you look at the world. Miriam Webster, Webster says, a comprehensive conception or apprehension of the world, especially from a specific standpoint. The dictionary, another dictionary definition, a comprehensive conception or philosophy of the universe and of humanity's relation to it. So over the next several weeks, we are going to look at a number of issues that are prevalent in our day, uh, a number of topics of discussion in our culture and in our society, and these are polarizing topics, these are hot-button issues, these are sources of contention and strife in politics and in our culture, but it's all an issue of worldview. It all comes down to how you look at the world around you, and and, and, and what your perspective is based upon what you believe to be true. We're going to talk about things like the sanctity of life and the existence of evil. The definition of gender. Social justice. Racism. This is going to be fun, right? Okay, But it all comes down to... Your position on these things is not about the facts and the data that's available. Because everybody has the same set of facts and data. It doesn't come down to the information. It comes down to how you look at the information. 
your worldview or your paradigm shapes how you see what's out there. So the concept of worldview, it's very easy to illustrate uh, now that I'm in my late 30s. Um, I wear glasses, and some of you guys do as well. My vision's not terrible, but when I put these on, everything's a lot crisper. It's just clear. I can see uh, better. It's not like I'm blind without them, but they sure do help. Now, if I were to put on Christian's glasses with completely different uh, prescription, and I look through the the wrong set of lenses, right? What's going to happen? You guys are probably going to look better because you're going to be very blurry and distorted and if, if, if I'm not looking through the proper lens, I'm not going to see things clearly. Everything is going to appear different than what it is. But if I, if, but if I look the right through, through, through the right lens, then everything is brought into focus, even though it, it might seem a little cloudy, it might seem a little blurry. With the help of some lenses, I can look out and see things clearly. And that's what your worldview does. It'll either take what is real and what is true and distort it, if it's the wrong worldview, Or it'll bring reality into sharper focus in your life. Two men standing beside the Grand Canyon at the majesty and the awe and the beauty of the landscape. And one man wondering how the Colorado River over millions of years could have carved out that majestic canyon. And another man giving glory to God as the creator and the one who made the world. Two completely different mindsets and approaches. They're looking at the same thing. But coming at it from a, from a lot different perspective. Right? And that's how these things are. So we're talking about two opposing worldviews. A biblical worldview and a secular worldview. The biblical worldview says the purpose of life is to glorify God. You're created in His image. You were created for His purposes. All things were made by Him and for Him. He is worthy of all glory and honor and power, for He created all things, and for His pleasure they are and were created. But the secular worldview will say the purpose of life is to glorify self. Biblical worldview says God's the center of the universe. Secular worldview says you're the center of the universe. Feels good? Do it. Have it your way. We love to see you smile. It's all about you. And the companies that say that say that because they're trying to get your money for them because they want it to be all about them. Right? Glorify God or glorify self. Um, The secular worldview says whatever makes you happy, whatever brings you pleasure, whatever you think, is going to put joy into your life. That's what you need to pursue. The biblical worldview emphasizes holiness. And scripturally speaking, that's the way to happiness. Holiness versus happiness. (coughs) The secular worldview values or emphasizes 
relativism and inclusivity. Truth is relative. What, what is your truth? You need to speak your truth. You need to find the real you inside of you. Right and wrong is dependent upon the circumstances and right and wrong is defined by society and the culture and, and the way to freedom is to get past all of these moral hindrances that have oppressed the societies that precede us. It's all relative. What do you think? How do you feel? Inclusivity, the highest virtue is just to make everybody feel good. Not to offend anybody. To make sure everyone is accepted for who they are. It's a secular worldview. And that's that's the way this culture wants you to think and to process truth. Biblical worldview, there is such a thing. As absolute truth. Two plus two does equal four. All the time. Regardless of how it makes you feel. And there is right and there is wrong. And there is a line between the two. And it's defined by God. And he put it in your heart. There's absolute truth. Truth isn't relative. It's defined by scripture. It's established by God. It is it is the standard is set by the one who made the world. Absolute truth versus relativism and inclusivity. The Bible says your emotions are to be governed. You've got to control yourself. You've got to subject your emotions to reason and logic and truth and God's word. You, you can't follow your heart. You have to guide your heart. Your heart is deceitful and desperately Wicked, right? But you know what secularism says? Let your emotions govern. In biblical worldview, your emotions are to be governed. Secular worldview, you're governed by your emotions. Truth is defined by how you feel. Quite the contrast. Biblical worldview emphasizes personal responsibility and accountability. God made you, and you are going to answer to Him. And your sin is your fault. You have control over the decisions and choices that you make. Now, you can choose whatever you want, but what you cannot choose is the consequences that come along with it. Those are built in. Secular worldview, entitlement and blame. I just deserve to have everything handed to me. I deserve a living wage. Whether or not I work for it, it's irrelevant. And if I don't have what I want, it's your fault. And if I don't do what I'm supposed to, I've got somebody to blame it on and some excuse to offer. Personal responsibility and accountability versus entitlement and blame. Biblical worldview says 
You have a sin nature. But the secular worldview says, no, you just need to believe in yourself. The Bible says that you're the problem. The secular worldview says, you're wonderful. You're amazing. You're number one. You just need to believe it. Biblical worldview. Exalts repentance. Secular worldview, there's no higher virtue than tolerance. That doesn't apply to the biblical worldview, though. We don't have to tolerate the biblical worldview. So tolerated by its perversion. Repentance versus tolerance. Come quickly to Matthew 7 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Matthew 7 and 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Number of terms we can attach to the secular worldview. Humanism. Man is the center of everything. Atheism. Discounting God. Evolution, that's the gateway drug to atheism. You get rid of the need for the creator. Uh, socialism, these, these concepts are all attached. And they're all united in their opposition to the truth of God's word. The Humanist Manifesto says, as non-theists, we begin with humans, not God. Nature, not Deity. What's sad in our day and age is that this secular worldview has been embraced by quote unquote Christians and quote unquote churches, which are more concerned with being relatable to the culture than faithful to the Word of God. And the idea is that they'll be more attractive to the world, but the truth is that the decline of Christian identity is only heightened by this departure from a true biblical foundation, and it is particularly pronounced among younger generations. Fully one-third of those age 35 and younger report no religious affiliation. So the church abandoning truth to try to appease the culture has been a monumental failure. And it's up to us to plant our feet firmly on God's word and build our lives on the person of Jesus Christ because he is the cornerstone. Matthew 7, a couple final verses quickly. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever hear these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Everyone that hear these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority not as the scribes. Here's what Jesus said. You're going to have to decide where you're going to build your house. You're going to build on the rock or you're going to build on the sand. Where are you going to build your house? What's the foundation of your life? 1 Corinthians chapter number 3.
How are you going to decide what's right and what's wrong? How are you going to decide what you're going to believe? How are you going to determine what you'll stand for, what you allow and what, what you won't, what you'll vote for and what you'll vote against? What's the foundation for your life? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 11, picking up where we left off. The Bible says, Further foundation can no man lay than that which is than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. He himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not, you're the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. You've got to decide where you're going to build your house, and you've got to decide how you're going to build your house, because one day there's going to be a final inspection. And you're going to stand before the Almighty God who made you, made salvation available, made truth available. He's going to try your works with fire, and all this is just going to burn right up. But if, but if you build your life on Jesus Christ, there'll be eternal reward. Your worldview, your perspective makes a big difference, and we're related to the issues of the day in coming weeks. God help us. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that we can know and have the truth. Helps to believe it, live by it, act upon it, share it with others, and helps be firm in our convictions. And help us to be uh, ardent in our love for you and zealous in our service to you. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.